<clears throat> How are we doing, church? Doing good? Are you saturated? Don't let it leak out now. All right, hey, if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, we're really going to spend the majority of our time uh, in Luke chapter 7, but it's, it's out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you're a really hardcore Bible nerd, you can try to get to both places, or you could grab uh, uh, your, your bulletin, the notes are in there. Uh, but we'd love for you to open up a Bible and turn, turn to there. Uh, before I get started, though, uh, there's a, a pretty special people here this morning sitting on the front row, and they love it when I do this. My dad and stepmom are right here on the front row, and so we could just say, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad y'all are here. <clears throat> I think I've told you this before. <clears throat> when, we, uh, when we decided to plant the Church of 1122 in Walmart, and I called Daddy. I said, hey, Daddy, we're going we're gonna to put our church in Walmart. And he said, boy, I always thought you'd work at Walmart. And so... Uh, <laughs> Here we are, right, straight from Ladies Accessories. All right, so <clears throat> we are in uh, week two of this, of this series where we're studying the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you Walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. <clears throat> and I apologize for my voice, but I'm a little hoarse because I was trying to do what, what Deuteronomy 6, 5 says last night. I was singing my head off down here on the front row at our worship night, and that's a big part of what... God means when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You see, uh, a lawyer in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, which there's 600 and something, what's your favorite one? What's the most important one? What's the greatest commandment in the entire scriptures, Jesus? And Jesus says this, okay, here's the, here's the most important law. And he immediately quotes the Shema. And he goes, all right, here it is. You ready? Get out your pen and paper or your scroll and quill or whatever you need and write this down. The most important of all the commandments is this. And he starts out, love. Like, no, 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 no. Love's not a commandment. Love's like an emotion. Love's like a feeling. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's a commandment. Here's the most important commandment. that You should love the Lord your God. And he starts out with this one. With all your heart. Now, what we're going to spend our time talking about today is worship. And while worship is a lifestyle that is true, that we worship God in the way we cut our grass and the way we surf and the way we watch a movie and all of that, Jesus covers that in the rest of it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So yes and amen that all of our lives should worship God. But Jesus starts off with this part, like this, this heart connection to God. This emotive response to who God is and what he's done. That's what he means when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I'm thinking, the lawyer's thinking, I don't think that's a law. I, I was looking for like, thou shalt not do something, steal something, covet something. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 I mean, those are important. But those are actually a result of this foundational, fundamental, greatest commandment. And it starts right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And let me tell you something that's a major, major problem in the history of Christianity. 
325 A.D., at, the, at, the, at this council, there was all these heresies being taught, and people were making up whatever they wanted to about Jesus and about the gospel, and they were adding to and taking away and all of this sort of stuff. So these, <clears throat> these very, very smart men get together, and they say, okay, we've got to come up with a creed. We've got to come up with kind of the boundaries of what Orthodox Christianity is and is not. And so they developed this thing called the Nicene Creed. How many of you grew up in a tradition where you quoted the Nicene Creed? All right, six of you. No, come on. Most of you that would grow up in that tradition also would feel uncomfortable raising your hand in church. Okay, that's just true. So you were like, count me. All right, it's okay. We're going to get to the hand raising part in a minute. It's great. Now, I, let me just say, I am pro-Nicene Creed. Pro-Nicene Creed. All right, I believe everything in it. I'm pro-Apostles Creed. I think it's very, very, very important to establish what you believe and what we believe. Our creed is this book, the Bible, and, and, but it's kind of thick. It's kind of hard to quote the whole thing every week. You know, it might take a minute. You think I preach long, we'd be here till the next service, right? We'd just never leave. And so the creed is essentially taking the fundamentals of the Scripture and saying, all right, if you boil it all down, here's the most important stuff. So I'm into the Nicene Creed. No problem there. But here's the problem. In the entire Nicene Creed, in the entire Apostles' Creed, guess what there's not one mention of? Loving God. It's all about right belief. It's all about right belief, and nothing is mentioned about our response because of those things we believe that we love God. And then Jesus said if he was going to write a creed, it would start with the most important thing is to love God with all your heart. Now, right belief is very, very important. Right doctrine and theology is very, very important. In fact, I would say you can't rightly love God with all your heart if you don't rightly believe God and believe the right things about God. And I've shared this with you before. I've been married to Gretchen for 15 years now, and uh, I'm not exactly a songwriter nor a singer, but if I were to come home this afternoon and say, baby, I have written you a love song, and, uh, you know, I can't play an instrument, but if I got the little egg shaker or whatever, you know, I got that, that bad boy going, shh, 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 shh. and I began to sing to her about her beautiful blonde hair and her bright blue eyes, and that one time when we went parking behind the Dairy Queen and just sing it with everything I'm made of, would she be honored? Even if I sang it with all my heart, no, she would be highly offended, highly offended because she didn't have blonde hair. She doesn't have bright blue, blue eyes, and we've never been parking behind a Dairy Queen. So she would say, brother, I think you're singing about another girl, okay? So you can take that somewhere else. So right belief about God is very, very important. But if you, if you flip over to, don't do it, but just listen. In John chapter 4, Jesus has this worship conversation with this woman at the well about place and posture and all of that stuff. And Jesus says this, a time is coming and has already come. When the Father is looking for worshipers that worship him in spirit and truth, not theologians, not authors, not servants, but all the things that the Father is looking for, he is looking for worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. And so here's, here's our working definition of worship here at the Church of 1122. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done. And, and what I'm particularly going to talk about this morning 
is like the previous 22 minutes of what we just did and the last four or five minutes of the service of what we're going to do. That part where we, as a congregation, as a gathered body of believers, respond to God in singing to God to worship Him. Now, you can worship God in all kinds of ways. Again, there's lifestyle worship. It, your, whole, your whole day and life and week ought to be worshiping and glorifying God. But, but I am particularly talking about this thing we do in church where we gather together and sing. And the reason that we do it, Pastor Ben said this about a month ago or something, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, that, you know, singing to God was his idea. That we didn't come up with it. I mean, there are countless passages in the Scripture where God commands us to sing to Him. Or like in the book of Psalms, okay? The book of Psalms is like, it's like the playbook of worship in the Old Testament. Chapter, Psalm 148 says this, Praise the Lord. Now that word, that the way, when we translate it, praise the, the Lord, it's actually two Hebrew words jammed together, right? a little smash up of Hebrew. It, it's we know it as hallelujah, all right? Hallelujah. And it's two words, halal and Yahweh. Now, halal literally translates to jump up and down, to lift your hands, to turn in circles. And Yahweh, we learned last week, is the covenant name of God. So what the Bible says is lift up your hands, jump up and down, and spin around to the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what that means. Halal, Yahweh. And so he says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. <clears throat> Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let, the pray, let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. And He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. See, we get involved in this too. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures in all the depths, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Next chapter, praise the Lord. Here we go again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Everybody get that? That's the Bible saying, buy the CD, people, all right? <laughs> Maybe not, but. <clears throat> praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise is in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad to his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in the king. Let them, that's us, let us praise his name with dancing. Did you hear that, Baptist? dancing now i know you were taught it was a sin you'd be like oh it's a sin it's right there in the word see dance sin i don't think i can do that <laughs> you got to read your bible okay let them praise his name with dancing making melody to him with tambourine and lyre for the lord takes pleasure in his people you get that 
When you're doing what this thing says, I mean, just a minute ago, when you're singing, even if you're not that comfortable with it, I don't care. Neither does he. And you're singing. I mean, you're singing. Like, you really get into it. You're like, you know what? I, I think I'm going to. And you didn't mean to. You know, a few weeks ago, you were sitting on the back row, and you showed up here, and you'd be like, this is a cult or something. What is going on here? All right? And we can always tell who our visitors are. You're always the best dressed. All right? And you're like, oh, sweet. I can just wear shorts and a T-shirt. Yeah, no, whatever you want. Or if you want to wear a hat and gloves to your elbows, praise the Lord. Whatever you want to come to worship Jesus in, we don't care. And then before you know it, it kind of starts getting on you a little bit. And, and then it's usually, you know, spouses can rarely agree as to where to sit. One of you always wants to sit way back there. If you could sit in your parking lot and just listen to it on the radio, you'd go for that. And then there's some, one of the other spouse wants to stand up here with me. Okay, that's just, that's how it goes. And something began to happen, and over time, you went from the back row to the middle, and, you know, sometimes you kind of come around to flank me a little bit, and you get closer over there. That's cool. We like, we like all the sections in here. And then before you know it, you, you know, you used to just stand there like, and just kind of freaked out. And you looked at the guy next to you, and he's just got his hands up, and he's crying, and you're thinking, what is wrong with these people, okay? And then before you know it, it just kind of starts getting on you, and then if you're not careful, you know what's going to happen to you. You're going to start moving your lips. You might start singing along a little bit. And then if you really go buck wild, one of these hands are going to come up. I'm telling you. Before you get the sway going, okay? You get this, and then, and then uh-oh, uh-oh. And then the next day you'll be pledging allegiance to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I pledge allegiance. And then you start actually singing. And the Bible says, as you're doing that, as you're making a melody to him, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. God Almighty, who needs nothing from us, leans in and goes, I really like that. Now, the person in front of you might not, because you might, that's why I sit on the front. That is, you think it's so I can get up here quick. It ain't. It's because I'm going to ruin it for anybody in front of me, okay? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. For he adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and the two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's God's idea for his people. Now, see, I would read texts like that, and then growing up in Dillon, South Carolina, occasionally when I'd go to church, that's not what it was like. Hallelujah means to lift up your hands and turn in circles to to the great and mighty king. And then we would go to Dillon First Baptist Church. And that wasn't hollow nothing. It was just very, very orderly. And uh, 
And we would do the doxology. Y'all know what the doxology is? And nobody told me when it was coming, you know. It was somewhere around the offering. And the offering plates would go by. And you were supposed to, I mean, there were rules. They were like, shh, you know, you're quiet. Apparently God does not like loud things. Now, he wrote about a lot of loud things in here. But, you know, since then, it's been a long time since he wrote that down. So now he just wants to kind of relax and be shh. And there was no running. I remember that. There was no running in his house. He does not like running and loud noises. And so we were quiet. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we all just, everybody would just pop up and sing the doxology. Doxology means praise and worship and honor to the Almighty King. And we would stand up, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures. He. I remember thinking, are we being serious? <laughs> Am I getting punked? What's going on here? That's it? That's the doxology? And so then I would go to, and here's the thing. Pastor Ben said it last night. The way you grew up is going to inform a lot of the way you worship. And what I really want to happen is I want this to inform the way you worship. And there are, there are wonderful things from all kinds of different traditions. So if I offend you today, Awesome. My goal is to equally offend everybody here. So if I leave anybody out, come see me at the end of the service, and I'll direct it just at you individually, okay? So, <laughs> so that was kind of our Baptist thing, you know? And then, and then I'd go to church with my Catholic friends. Oh, boy. Which is great if you grew up Catholic, because you know all the stuff. You know all the moves and all the deals, you know? And, and uh, there should be like a manual. There should be like a third base coach telling you when to do something. <laughs> Because I'm just standing there, everybody stands up, and I'm the idiot still saying, oh, okay, dang, I stood up, you know, and then everybody sits down, and I'm the last one, and I remember one time, they went to move, and I was like, ha-ha, and I popped up, and they all kneeled, I'm like, eh, man, first time, first time, and then they told the guy, pass the peace, all right, I didn't know what that meant, I never passed the peace, and so I wasn't, I didn't hear what he said, and, I, and there's a guy over here, and he says something to me, what he said, I found out later, peace be with you, I didn't know what he said, I just served everybody, man. and I said, Pretty good. How about you? That's what I said. And he looked at me like, yep, you're going to hell, or at least purgatory. You're going somewhere. But you ain't one of us. Okay? And then, then it was time for communion. And I'm waiting for the little tray to come around, you know, Baptist style with the little shot glasses and the little Jesus, you know, the, the Jesus. And I thought that you did that first. You, you took the shot glass second to wash down the Jesus. Because they already got stuck right there. <laughs> Jesus was sticky. But now we got in line. And then I got up to the front, and I didn't know the deal. I didn't know. I didn't know that they don't let you take communion there if you ain't Catholic. And they had like, and I get it. I get it. In, in their theology, they believe in transubstantiation, that the, that the bread literally becomes the body of Christ, and that the the wine literally becomes the blood of Jesus, and they went with, like, full-on leaded wine, too. Woo. My church, we believe that the body of Christ became the Jesus and that, that the blood of Christ became uh, Welch's. That's what we believe. <laughs> and so I get up, and I didn't know the right code word, and, and so they said, well, you, you, can't, you can't do communion here. Huh? No, I'm in. I'm team Jesus. I'm in. And then I didn't know you could tap out. You could just, like, do the little, like, doo-doo, I'm out. And they'll give you a blessing. That's even better. I thought it was, anyway. So you go to that, and I just didn't know. I just didn't know all that stuff and what we were doing. And, 
And then I'd go back to my Baptist church, and, and I'll tell you when it would get crazy is sometimes on Sunday nights. I don't know if you know this, but <clears throat> we, had, we used to have Sunday night church, not as like the main service, but as like an extra one. And it was casual, and you knew it was casual because the dude didn't wear a tie. Same suit, he'd just take his tie off, and he would preach. And then sometimes, sometimes, if the spirit was just moving at the end of it, and there'd be a lot less people, you know, and at the end of it, if, I mean, if, if worship was just going to be crazy that night, the, the pastor would lead us in a chorus. And it was, there was always a couple. It was, blessed be the tie that bind. I still don't know. I thought it was a Johnny Cash song, but, and it is. Uh, but sometimes we do the, he is Lord, he is Lord. And then he would lean in and be like, join hands across the aisles. And he thought, all right, it's about to get on now, you know. That's why when I was in high school, I would always sit strategically at Sunday night service just in case we did the join hand things. So wherever she was, you don't want to sit right by her. That, that gives it away. But if you sat in the row across the aisle from her and then you were joining hands across the aisle, you'd be like, this ain't even my idea, sovereign God Almighty trying to, <laughs> right? And then we'd say, he is risen from the dead and he is Lord and all. And then right there, all the hands across the whole Baptist church now, boom, they'd go up, right? Which is crazy. And then, and then if you got really, like if you were really worshiping in spirit and truth, you'd go, poof, guns to the sky, right? One up, each hand. Now, what was crazy in our church is if you let go and did that by yourself, we're going to have a deacon's meeting, all right? Deacons going to get together and be like, oh, the charismatics are here, and they're not allowed, Okay? And then I would go to my charismatic friends, and dude, I'm going to tell you what, they worshiped. I mean, there was some stuff going on there. I, I can remember just standing there, you know, swaying with everybody, singing that same song, good 45 minutes in. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know it when we started, but I got it memorized now. I'm good, man, you know. <laughs> it was good. And then all of a sudden, you'd hear something coming. You'd be like, what's going on? It'd be a lady with a banner just taking a lap. <laughs> She okay? <clears throat> so, here at, here at the church of 1122, here, here's what we want to do. Is that we want to we wanna glorify God in worship and word. We want to glorify God in worship and word. <clears throat> we believe wholeheartedly that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And yet, there also should be order in worship. So, uh, Pastor Leonce Crump on Thursday night, I think he said, so some of you Reformed Bible nerds, I need you to get excited about what you know. And then you charismatics that are doing the laps of the banners, I'd like for you to know why you're so excited, okay? And at the Church of 1122, we really want to do both. We want to respond to God for who He is and what He's done. And every time we gather together as a church family to make much of Him, then what we want to do is glorify God in worship and word. And we want every single person here to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so, that, that means we want some people to get excited. And if, you're, and if you get a little extra excited, you know, if you want to do a lap and you really want to dance and you need more than just that kind of little space that you need to stay in, okay, then that's great, man. Praise God. Do your thing. Just kind of do it back over there in that corner or back... Seriously, we love it. God can see you over there, all right? 
he can't. And the rest of us need to kind of stay focused on what's going on up here. So you, you're free to do that. But whenever we talk about it, here's the problem. But there's, there's some of us, some of you, because I'm into it, man. There's some of you are like, yeah, but you know what? I, I know the Bible says all that about worshiping, but I'm just not feeling it. Especially you men. I mean, we're up here just singing, singing. And I see you just standing there like this. You're like, no, well, I don't, you know, I don't stand in rows and sing love songs to Jesus because I'm tough. Okay. <laughs> so you should take that up with King David. Because let me tell you about him. He's tougher than you. By show of hands, how many of you have torn a bear in half with your hands? Anyone? No? Slayed a giant in your teen years with a slingshot? Uh-uh. Fought off a lion? Okay, tough guy. All right, relax a little bit. God has wired you and commanded you to love him with all your heart. Or we can go New Testament. How about the Apostle Paul? He's a tough guy. He was a terrorist. I mean, he killed people. That's tough. Then God saved him. He was beaten, battered, bruised, thrown into prison, shipwrecked many times. Some of you, the hardest thing you've gone through this week is JTB traffic, okay, tough guy? And what did they do? What did Paul and Silas do when he was thrown into prison? He worshiped until the walls fell down. Or you want to go, Jesus? He's tough. He endured the full wrath of God, and he's a worshiper of the Father. So how about that tough guy? Maybe you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart. I am talking about that your emotions are stirred for him. And again, some of you are like, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm just, that's not how I'm wired. I'm, I'm just not an emotional person. Just imagine this. Married men. Imagine if you were to go to your wife and say, hey, babe, I love you, but uh, I'm never going to tell you. And I'm never going to buy you roses. I'm never going to take you on a date. I'm never going to be tender with you. But you know I love you. I'm just not wired that way. I'm going to provide. I'm going to protect. I'm going to do the weed eating. All right? I'm going to pay for junk. I'll beat the kids when you tell me, uh, but I'm not holding your hand. I'm not hugging you. I'm not, none of that sort of stuff. Okay, if that's you, I don't care how wired you are, you can jot this down, you officially suck as a husband. <laughs> that's just true. And I'm trying to cut down on the word suck, but I, that's what it is. Officially. I just made it official. That's you. Because if she wanted that stuff, she could just go on Craigslist. And you get a handyman and a nanny and a yard guy. And that's what you are? That ain't what she married. She wanted to have and hold and to dode and mingling of the souls and all of that kind of stuff. And then I would also say that if you come to the Lord with that same kind of attitude, yeah, God, I'm going to be a Christian. I mean, I'm going to do right. And I'm going to study the Scriptures. And I'm going to, you know, attend often. But I'm not going to pour out my heart to you. Then you officially suck as a worshiper. And God, the Father, is looking for people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not either or. Not either or. Not just worship Him in spirit. And everybody's running around crazy, but they don't know why. And not just worshiping him in the truth, a bunch of Bible nerds just, just reading until your head blows up, all right? But both together, 
that worship would be our response to God for who He is and what He's done. And the only way to know that is to dig into the Word and to know the words so you can understand who God is and what He's done. And then also that it would stir in your spirit the proper response, which is, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. God, I, you deserve it. You're worth it. That's what worship is. Because the reality is this. We all worship something. We all worship something. And what we worship is whatever we value the most. Because I promise you, for those of you that are standing in here, looking like something stinks. <laughs> and listen, I'm talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, then hey, at least you get to see why the people next to you get crazy. Because this isn't just some event. This isn't just some belief system. This is a love relationship with the almighty maker of heaven and earth. And they are so moved that the almighty sovereign God would love them and reach down and rescue them that they can't help it. They're like, I got to do something. And so do you for something. If I, got, if I could follow you around all week, I could figure out what you worship. All I got to do is check your attitude, your calendar, and your checkbook, and I can find out what you worship. Because some of you, some of you are like, the walking dead's coming back on. Or some of you, you go to a football game, and look, I'm the worst. You go to a football game, and you worship. I mean, if you like my team, the dogs, praise God, go dogs, all right? And just, just in case you know, when you open the Word of God, there's two colors. There's red and black, okay? <laughs> just say it. Now decide for yourself whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, all right, so. But I have been, I have been to church with some people that stand there and then go to a game with some of the same people and when the dogs score, lift, they jump to their feet and lift their hands and literally sing out loud, Glory, glory. Those are worship words. And then it gets really bad. Too old Georgia. But it's worship. It is worship. I've been at Jags games. And usually when I get to a Jags game or any kind of thing like this, I usually introduce myself hey, how, to the fans around me. Hey, how we doing? I just want everybody to know we're going to be best friends for the next three and a half hours. All right? We're going to laugh together. We're going to cry together. We're going to praise together. We're going to lament together. This is us. So you got to be in. Okay? And then inevitably it comes up that, that I'm the preacher man, and I've, I've been at a Jags game, I'm telling you, where this little old lady was sitting in front of me. We were playing, we were playing the Steelers a few years, long time ago, and, uh, and, and we were making this fourth quarter drive, and this lady turns around to me and says, pray, preacher man, pray, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and when we scored, the whole place is jumping up and down. I mean, I'm arm in arm with the stinky drunk man next to me that I've been trying to avoid for three hours, and there we are. We won! We won! You know, just losing my mind. The whole place does that. You know why? Because we're wired to be worshipers. Worshipers. And God's not saying to not do that at those events. Awesome. But he's saying, the reason I wired you to do that is for me and to me. You see, so our, and, and here's what's just true, our response to God, the way that we worship, our response to God is a direct reflection of our understanding of who we are and what God has done for us. 
So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are that stone-cold worshiper, just there's no emotive response to God, then I feel like maybe it's just because you've yet to understand who you are and who you were in light of what God has done for you. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 7 because I can't think of another passage that better illustrates what it looks like when you have this understanding of who you are and what Christ has done for us. And there is only one legitimate response, and that is to worship. Luke 7, beginning in verse 36, says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. You see, Jesus, what, he, he, was, he was in and of himself a movement for all people. The highly religious, he hung out with them. And the people that were far from God, he hung out with them. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Everybody know what she's doing? A prostitute at best. A prostitute. A woman of the city who was a sinner. And everybody at this dinner table knows. And when when the Bible says that Jesus comes to dinner and he reclined at the table, he didn't get like a lazy boy the way they would eat. It's kind of weird. It's like a... Kind of like a Japanese restaurant, if you've ever been to one of those where you've got to take your shoes off and sit on the floor, which I'm like, eh, we live in America, let's sit in a chair. But anyway, the way they would do, they would recline, they'd all kind of lay down, the food would be in the middle, their feet would be out away from, from the center, and they would all kind of lay around and eat. And behold, a, a woman of the city who's a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. This would be very, very, very expensive. Probably the most expensive thing that she had in her possession. Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, that's Jesus' feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and, and anointed them with the ointment. People around the table are looking like, what? What is she doing? Who, who is this woman? What is she doing? Just like earlier, some of us were looking at the person next to us, going, what are they doing? Why are they so into it? You know? And she's crying. And you can imagine there's conversation, and then she walks in, and everybody knows her. And they're thinking, what's she doing here? And then she breaks open the, the alabaster flask, and they think, what's she going to do with that? And then she starts touching the feet of this rabbi, Jesus, that claims to be the son of God. And they're like, oh, no, this is just, this is just way too far. She starts crying. And nobody can ignore it. I mean, she is, she is, she is obscene. And when the Pharisee, now, verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, not out loud, But just in his own mind, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm better than both of them. I'm obviously better than this sinful prostitute that's coming in here and wasting money, and I'm also better than this man of God, because no no way in, in the world would somebody as godly as me let some hooker like that touch my feet Ruin my dinner party. That's what he thinks. I'm better than this. I'm better than this. But not her. You know what she does? She humbles herself 
at the feet of Jesus, and she loves him with all of her heart. Let me ask you a convicting question. Today in church, which posture do you have? There are two postures here. There was one sitting back like this in judgment. And there was one with somebody weeping at the feet of Jesus. And you can say ouch or amen, but that's just real, isn't it? Sometimes we walk in here just like, huh, let me see if this is good. Well, good job, there, Pharisee. That's what it is. Walk in here and be like, oh, this ain't my song. <laughs> let me say it again. We ain't singing to you. Ever. Ever. We check on all the songs. Jesus loves them. I just read to you your least favorite worship song. When we worship him in spirit and truth, the Father delights over us. He says, this is my favorite song. And you'd be like, God, I thought the last one was your favorite song. It was. That was my favorite song. Then we sing another one. Sweet. It's my favorite song. Yeah, but that's a hymn, and the last one was a rap song. I know. They're my favorite because he delights over people that worship him in spirit and in truth. So today, when you walked into church, and again, listen, I am just talking to the Christian. If you're just checking this thing out, you can't. You worship something. But I'm talking about the person that claims Jesus is my Lord. This woman gets down on her hands and knees and cries. And there's emotion here. Verse 40, and Jesus answering. Answering what? Nobody asked a question. The Pharisee, in his mind, said to himself, this guy knew who that was. And Jesus says, hey, let me tell you something. That's why I'm telling you. <laughs> if you come in here and fake it, he knows. He knows. I told you, if I had dinner with Jesus, I'd just be thinking bunnies, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> I'd just be quoting verses, right? Just quoting verses. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. So he does this mind-reading trick here. And so Jesus said to him, you ready to mind, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answers, say it, teacher. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, here's the problem with this parable. If you think that you have been forgiven a small debt, then you are a fool. If you think the debt that we have been forgiven is itty-bitty, then you don't understand who you are and what Jesus did. Do you know why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross? Because of the utter depravity of our sinfulness. We sin, and then we say things like, well, that wasn't that bad. I mean, it's just a little lie. You know how awful it was? It killed the Son of God. That's how big my sin is. My sin. It was an eternal debt that even if I started from today and lived the perfect life to try to pay it off, and I could live for 10,000, 10,000 years, there wouldn't be enough time to pay off even one of my wretched, wretched sins. So verse 44, then turning towards the woman. So get this picture. Jesus is going to keep talking to the Pharisee, but he gets down on the level or adjusts himself in such a way that he turns toward this woman, eyeball to eyeball, not degrading her, but treating her with dignity like nobody ever had. People bought her 
and used her up and cast her aside. And I'm talking about the dirtbags that paid to sleep with her and the dirtbag Pharisees that, that discounted her. And then Jesus Christ, the only perfect one. In fact, the one whom she was sinning against got eyeball to eyeball with her and treated her with dignity. And you know why? We covered this in the Give Love a Try series because Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies, which means if you're in Christ, then he can no longer be dissatisfied in you because he was fully satisfied by Christ's death and resurrection. And so even when you walk into this place on the worst week you've ever had, then Jesus Christ, the almighty maker of heaven and earth in worship, gets down eyeball to eyeball you and dignifies us and looks at us. That's that's how she encounters Jesus. Then turning toward the woman, and she's still speaking to Simon, she says to Simon, do you see this woman? And and Simon's answer would be like, yeah, I see her. I see her all the time, working the street corners. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't see her right. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss, but from the time... I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with its ointment. Now this isn't exactly how it works, but just what if? What if God came eyeball to eyeball with you today and said, hey, I heard you were going to be here at church, so I showed up. Now again, he, he's omnipresent, he's in all places at all times. Worship is not about a place, it's about the person of Jesus Christ. But what if? God checked you in your car on the way home and said, hey, yeah, I was at church there, and you know what I did? I noticed? Uh, I was there the whole time. You didn't even sing to me. Now, I wrote in, in this letter to you, I wrote a bunch of times that I like it when you sing to me. But you didn't. You just stood there with your arms crossed. And uh, you, didn't, you didn't raise your hands and surrender because you were more concerned about what the person next to you thought than what I think. You know why we raise our hands? Do you know why? You know one reason we raise our hands? Touchdown. That's it. Touchdown. You get excited because your team's winning. I've read to the end of the book. Guess what? Touchdown. We win. You should be excited about that. Another reason we raise our hands, you know why? Reagan Capri, five years old, about to be six next month. You know what she does? She come up to me and she's like, hold me. And I go, come here, baby. Scoop her up. And I'm going to try to do it every single time. Because rumor has it when she's 16, she might not do that anymore, okay? So a child reaching out to their dad, hold me, daddy. That's why we raise our hands. You know why, else, why we raise our hands? You ever get on a roller coaster? Can we just practice? Can everybody just do this, make sure the shoulders work? Do they? Do they? I know in the front row they work awesome. They're just, okay, good, good. See, sometimes, sometimes it's like going over the hill in the roller coaster. You're in the worship environment, and it's just going good, and you're, and you're just stirred up for the Lord, and you're either thinking victory or holding me, Daddy, or sometimes you're just like, whoa, here we go, here we go, ah, that's it. This is going to apply to a lot of you. You know what, sometimes you raise your hand, all right, you got me, you got me, all right, all right, all right, you got me. Surrender. And sometimes in worship, you need to say, all right, you got me. 
I mean, I ran and I ran and I ran, and I thought I was going to get away, but I couldn't get away from the hound of heaven. You got me. You chased me down. You've ripped out my heart of stone. You put in a heart of flesh, and I surrender. You got me. So what if, what if at the end Jesus says, look, you didn't sing to me and raise your hands. You didn't bring to me what was mine, your first fruits. I blessed you with everything you have, and I just want you to bring back your first and best. That's still burning a hole in your pocket. You just sat back the whole time to take, 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 evaluate, and you never made an offering. And the beautiful thing is, is Jesus can really see to the heart of the matter. I mean, you could pour out your heart and barely move. That is true. And so when you come to church, which posture do you have? The Pharisees or the prostitutes? Verse 47, remember, he's still talking to Simon, and he says, Therefore, I tell you, her sins... Which are many. He doesn't act like this is not a big deal and what she's doing is just, oh, don't worry about it. No. He's worried about it so much that he's going to die on the cross to pay for the evils that she has done. I tell you, her sins, which are many, they're forgiven. For she loved much. Now, do not be confused. It's not because she came in worshiping him that he forgave her sins. But it's because her sins are forgiven that her response is that she worships him. So your salvation is not dependent on whether you sing the songs or raise your hand, but it's evidence of it. So the question is, so how do we love God with all of our hearts? The answer is we worship Him. We worship Him. He goes on to say, but He was forgiven little loves little, and He said to her, your sins are forgiven. This drives worship. Worship is our response to God for who He is, the Almighty King of Kings, perfect and what He has done for us. And what he has done for us is he's the propitiation for our sin. He died on the cross to forgive us our sin and grant us his righteousness. And our response to that is hallelujah, praise the Lord. How do you want me to do this, God? Quiet, loud, hands up, kneeling, it don't matter. It don't matter. I'm so overwhelmed by what you have done for me. I will bring you the most valuable thing at my, in my life and lay it down at your feet. And sometimes I'll cry, and sometimes I'll scream, and sometimes I'll lift my hands, and sometimes I'll sit quietly, and all of those will be a demonstration that I love the Lord my God with all of my heart. Here's the point. As we understand the depths of our own depravity in light of the height of God's love and mercy towards us, it should stir a deep sense of worship in us. This is a diagram that we use often. I want you to think of it in light of worship. If you grew up in and around church, a lot of the times the way you hear the gospel is this. This is a timeline of your life. You were born here, and you're done there. And at some point in your life, you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This was that moment of salvation. Whether you could remember it or not, it doesn't matter. God knows there's a time in history when you went from death to life. And the problem with this view of salvation and this view of the gospel is that as you mature in your faith, you just do more Bible study and you do more projects and you learn more and more and more and more and all of these kind of things. And the problem is this, as you get deeper in your faith, you actually move further and further and further and further away from the gospel and from the cross. It's a flawed view of the gospel. And so we've taught on this several times. Pastor Stone even drew this diagram for you. Instead, the way to look at it is this. There's some time in your life where you did not know Christ. You come to that place in your life where you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And then for the rest of your days, two things simultaneously happen. One is you have a greater and greater understanding that God is holy and perfect and just. And there is nothing in you that deserves to have this this access to Him. And simultaneously, you understand that you were not just a bad person, you were a dead person. That you are what we lovingly call around here a wretched black-hearted sinner. That you're not a snowflake, you're not a rainbow, you're not a skittle, you're a dead man walking. All right? You're like a zombie in the walking dead. And if you're like, I'm offended, it's because you're a wretched black-hearted sinner. And what happens simultaneously is we understand more and more. We don't get better. We actually understand it's worse than I thought. My sin is worse than I thought. My sin was so awful that God had to die for it. In His holiness, He's actually bigger than I thought. And this gap between who God is and who we are grows deeper and wider and wider and wider and wider. And there's only one thing that continuously fills that gap. And it is the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. And so in this model, we move farther away from the cross. And when we think about it this way, the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in our lives. And here's what I would say. And as you understand this, what also is going to happen is you're going to love God with all your heart more and more and more and more because you simultaneously understand that Almighty Sovereign God is worth it and somehow... Because of his love and his mercy towards us, even when I was dead in my transgressions, he reached down and he plucked me out of sin and death. And for that, I will worship his holy name. Let me tell you why I worship. Let me tell you why I worship. It's not because I'm a singer. Honestly, I don't even like music that much. Really. I like Zach Brown and Johnny Cash. That's it. And not even a lot. I rarely listen to music in my truck. I listen to either sermons, not because I'm super spiritual, but because I got to do this all the time. So I listen a lot. <laughs> and I listen to sports talk radio. That's it. I'm not even a music person. But there are times, sometimes just in my truck, riding around, listening to what grace did for me. And when we gather in this place, and there are two things, there are two things that are right before me. I just, I simultaneously look at this almighty, sovereign God, maker of heaven and earth, the one that knit me together in my mother's womb, God almighty. And then I look at the depths of my own sin. Listen, I'm telling you, I am telling you, I am the chief sinner in the room. If you knew what I've done, if you knew what I thought, if you knew the people that I've abused, if you knew the lies that I have told, if you known how many times I've stepped on others for my own benefit, if you knew that, I'm telling you, you would never follow me as a pastor. And yet, on a, every week, I'm just, I'm just reminded of the depths of my own depravity. The depths of my own depravity. And I think, God, who in the world am I that you would save me? And as those two realities exist simultaneously in my mind, then there's only one legitimate response. There's only one legitimate response. God, you're worth it. God, I love you. God, I love you with all of my heart. I'll lift my hands. I'll kneel down. I'll sing loud. I'll be quiet. 
What do you want, God? What do you want? Because you deserve it. Because even when I was dead in my trespasses, at the worst of the worst of the worst, you reached down and you saved me. Even if you're not a singer, you know Amazing Grace. Right? Even the men that stand out, you'll sing Amazing Grace. You ever think of the words, Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch. You see, John Newton, he was cool with the wretched black-hearted sinner language. Do you know about his story? He was a slave ship captain. Is there anything more wretched? Maybe in all of human history? I mean, you want to talk about abusing people, misusing power. He was a slave ship captain. And out in the Atlantic, a storm hits his boat for 11 days straight. He tied himself to the ship so that he wouldn't be thrown over. And in that moment, he realized his complete and total depravity, and he surrenders his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He goes on for the next 42 years to be a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ and played a significant role in the abolition of slavery in Great Britain. And then one day he writes these, it was a poem for his church, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. You see, it was God's grace that let me know how holy he is. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. The same grace that opened my eyes to understand how perfect God is and how sinful I am. It's that same grace that also forgave my sins, that washed away my sins, that teaches me daily that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Listen, long-time Christian, could you just be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you remember that moment that you were saved? And you were thinking, is this, can this be real? Like I'm forgiven? Yeah. He loves me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what about when I screw up? Yeah, he knew, and he loved you anyway. You remember that moment? I mean, that moment when, when grace just poured over you, and maybe you realized for the first time what grace did for me, and there was only one legitimate response, and that was to praise his holy name. And then the, the, the last verse is, and when we've been there 10,000 years, that's heaven. When we've been face-to-face with him in heaven for 10,000 years, I mean, you think this service is long. 10,000 years. When we've been there for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. On his deathbed, here's what he said. John Newton said this. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. And so... What's your posture going to be? I mean, what's it going to be? You're going to be like the Pharisee that rolls in here and claims to be near Jesus and claims to know things about Jesus. But honestly, you must not have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. And you're just going to stand back and watch and be like, hello, I'm not doing that. Or are you going to take the posture of the sinner who's been saved by grace that says, God, I want to love you with all of my heart. I want to pour out my emotions towards you 
because my emotions, man, they're fickle and they're failing and they can be all over the place and I do not want to be ruled by them. So I'm going to take them, God, and I'm going to bring them to the foot of the cross and I'm going to wash your feet with my tears and my hair and I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to lift up my voice and I'm going to love the Lord God Almighty with everything I'm made of with all of my heart because of who you are because you deserve it and who I was I wasn't just a bad person I was a dead man and you brought me to life and because you and you alone are worthy of my worship should bow your heads close your eyes I want to ask you one question. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, and the reason that you haven't worshipped is because you didn't know He came to save you. And you, maybe for the very first time, you understand that God Almighty, the sovereign King of the universe, is kneeling down eyeball to eyeball to you, and He is willing to forgive your sins right now. If you're ready to receive that forgiveness in Christ, not because you're here today, but because He hung on that cross 2,000 years ago, if that's you, just lift your hand high and say, yep, that's me. I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. And those of you with your hands in the air, you just tell him, and he does it. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, I pray that the church of 1122 would be a worshiping church that worships you in spirit and in truth. God, would you stir the affections of our heart to worship you because you are worthy of our worship, that we would be constantly reminded of what grace did for us. God, for the crotchety old tough guy in here or the young cool guy that thinks he's awesome, I ain't singing. Lord, would you just break him down, supernaturally just smack him down today so that he would stand up and lift his hands to you and say, God, you and you alone are worthy of my worship. God, let our response, let the words of our mouth, let the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you because you're worth it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you please stand as we worship, as we respond to God for who He is and what He's done. We respond by praying. Somebody need to come pray. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. You know how that works if you're a regular here. And we respond by joining our voices together and singing and reminding ourselves and singing to God about what grace did for me. Let's respond.